It's great to be back on Search the Scriptures today with all of our regular listeners and all of our new listeners as well. We appreciate you tuning in. We hope that and we pray that this will be a blessing for you. It's already a blessing for us to be able to come on this program and teach God's Word to as many people as there are out there who have the opportunity to listen at this time. And we appreciate having the opportunity to do this on a daily basis, Monday through Friday. And we pray that it, is, that it will continue to be a blessing for you and can actually change your life. Now, it's my privilege to be able to be here today and study God's Word with Dennis Stackhouse. Thank you, Gary. Certainly, it's a great blessing in my life as well to be part of this program, as you've already mentioned. And we do hope, as you've indicated, that through these efforts, the lives of those listening to us are going to be blessed as well. Blessed through coming to a greater understanding of God's Word and also through an understanding of what our responsibility as individuals is in terms of living a life in God's sight that will be pleasing to Him and that will ultimately result in our being part of that heavenly home. Yes, we're not just going through uh, an exercise here on Search the Scriptures. Mm -hmm. We are really serious about teaching God's Word Mm -hmm. and trying to help as many people as we can come to a better understanding and thereby have the opportunity to change their lives for the better. Yes, and that is such an important thing. And, and I know we emphasize this often, but you know, when you think about it, Gary, making that decision to get yourself right in God's sight is the most important decision that any one of us can ever make in life. If we don't get that straight, as we've said a number of times, then our lives end up utterly failing. Yes, that's right. If we don't get to heaven, we've just failed in life. Yes. Dennis, we are in the middle of a study asking the question, do you know Christ or do you just know about Christ? Right. Now, we're not talking about people primarily who are in some parts of the world where it might be illegal to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. or maybe they're just in a situation where they've never had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ. We're probably, now those would certainly be included, but, Mm -hmm. but primarily we're talking about people who know about Christ, Mm -hmm. probably believe in him. Right. And yet they are not really following him according to his teachings. Yes, that's right. There's a difference between knowing about Christ and really knowing Christ. Mm-hmm. Huge difference. We've made the application along this line from James chapter 2 and verse 19 where James talks about the, the demons in hell believing mm-hmm. and trembling. Right. And yet they're still the demons and they're mm-hmm. still in hell. That's right. So it's not just knowing about that's important. We need to come to a point where we know Christ. Mm-hmm. How about if we go back to that, that basic text that we've used in John chapter 17 and verses 1 through 3 and just uh, remind and refresh our listeners with the concept that we're talking about here. Okay. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, 
that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We've made the, we, we've made, made the emphasis here that Jesus states that eternal life is tied not just to knowing about him or about God, but he says this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, mm-hmm. and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Yes, that's right. So Jesus conditions eternal life on knowing God and on knowing Christ. Absolutely. We have to know him, not just know about him. Now, nothing in our life is, is as important as developing this kind of a relationship with our Lord and Savior. We talked about that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And also, we need to properly apply our knowledge of him in order that we can develop spiritual maturity. Mm-hmm, that's correct. We cannot just go through our knowledge of Christ in kind of a complacent way, just thinking, well, I know about him now. Mm-hmm. That's enough. Mm-hmm. No, I've got to develop that relationship with him. Yes, and knowing him, really, when we stop and think about it, Gary, is demonstrated by a life that is obedient to him in every aspect. Absolutely, absolutely. He even went through the process of learning obedience himself, and I, I think that's probably to demonstrate to us the importance mm-hmm. of knowing what we need to obey, and then following through and obeying it. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Yes, that's exactly right. A very, very striking picture regarding Jesus himself. Now, Dennis, knowing about Christ does not mean that you're saved in Christ. No, it doesn't. Again, I think this this whole principle that we're trying to study in this particular uh line of of lessons here is something or probably should be at least of something of a an eye-opener for a whole lot of people Mm -hmm. a whole lot of people who have lived their lives to this point thinking well I know about the Lord Mm -hmm. but there's a difference in knowing about him and really coming into that right relationship with him that he has already described as knowing him right Let's turn to Acts chapter 24, and let's look at verses 22 through 25. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Dennis, what do you think Paul was teaching Felix about, Felix and Drusilla? Well, the text tells us there, Gary, in verse 25, it was about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. And, of course, 
you know, maybe our listeners are aware of this and maybe they're not. When we see the term righteousness used in the scriptures, we're basically talking about a rightness with God. We need to have, as you've spoken of just a few moments ago, that relationship in Christ in order to be pleasing to God. And I think righteousness is basically talking about that same concept. In fact, he connects it at the end of verse 24 when, he's, when it says that he heard, he, he heard uh, from Paul concerning the faith in Christ. Yes. And then immediately after that, it talks about the righteousness and self-control and judgment to come. Mm-hmm. So all of that is connected, as you said. Oh, yes. Yes. Now, what we read here then is that Felix came to know about Christ. Oh, yes, I think so. We don't know how many times Paul had the opportunity to teach him mm-hmm. and Drusilla, but it appears to have been on a repeated basis. Yes, it does. We've, we've read before and we'll continue to read about how Paul would take those opportunities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he would, you know, he would teach, mm-hmm. he would preach. It's hard to imagine Paul being with someone for any kind of prolonged period of time without trying to get across to them the gospel message. Yes, and uh, I think one of the things that really strikes me in that regard, Gary, is in the first chapter of Philippians, Paul speaks about his imprisonment there. You know, and uh, naturally, I think, when any of us would consider or think about an imprisonment, it'd be in rather negative terms. You know, "Ah, that's not a place I'd like to be. You know, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Well... Paul looked at it from the standpoint that it gave him the opportunity to preach the gospel to the Praetorian Guard, which in essence was probably the finest regiment in the Roman army. There's another text that refers to them, I believe, as the palace guard. Yes, I think so. You're they right. they would have been very close to Caesar, I would think. Yes. To the administration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you get the impression, especially from Philippians chapter 1, I believe it is, that because of the fact that Paul was a prisoner in Rome for Mm -hmm. those approximately two years, it would seem probable, Mm -hmm. that a whole lot of people, Mm -hmm. either in the army or I guess certainly some of them in the army and perhaps some of them in the Roman government, became Christians, mm-hmm. and you, you question whether they would have become Christians had Paul not been in, in prison in that, or in custody in that particular mm-hmm. setting. Yes, and as you were mentioning, that was just one of those opportunities where Paul had access to somebody else. And in this case, he was probably chained to guards while he was in prison. He preached the gospel to them. And they would be chained to him probably for four-hour four intervals. Mm-hmm. Now, you talk about a captive audience. That's just what he had. <laughs> <laughs> but here he is given audience before Felix, the Roman governor, mm-hmm. and Felix's wife, and he uses that audience, that time, to, again, teach the gospel. Exactly. He took serious his mission mm-hmm. to spread the gospel, especially through the Gentile populations of the world. He really did. Now, again, we see in verses 24 and 25 that fundamental to what Paul taught Felix and his wife, Drusilla, was the faith in Christ. Yes. And connected with that, righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Mm -hmm. That's right. 
And yet, what does it say at the end of verse 25? Felix was afraid and did what? Yes, Felix was afraid and he spoke to Paul and said, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Do we ever read of anywhere in the rest of the scriptures where Felix found that convenient time? To my, lo- my knowledge, that's not recorded. Now, we can hope that it happened. Yes. But shortly in the scripture account from this particular setting, we find Felix being replaced by the Roman government. Mm-hmm. Right. Festus comes and takes his place in chapter 25. And in chapter 26 of the book of Acts, Festus gives Paul an audience before himself and King Agrippa. And King Agrippa would have been Jewish mm-hmm. and probably an entourage of other people there. But, but they're the, the two who are, and, and, and Agrippa's wife, of course, and, but they're the ones who are specifically highlighted in, mm-hmm. in the Scripture text. Now, what does Paul do at that time? Well, the same thing. Teaches them again, <laughs> he doesn't he? He takes advantage of that opportunity. Yes. And in that particular case, if we had the time to read through the entire text, we'd see he went into considerable detail. Yes. Explaining the gospel. Yes. Now, it's set up as he is giving his defense. Right. Before the Roman governor mm-hmm. and before King Agrippa. But in giving his defense, what does he do? He teaches the gospel. He does just that. Now let's drop down in chapter 26 to read verses 23 and 24. Acts chapter 26, verses 23 and 24. That the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. When Paul, and what our listeners need to understand, and anybody reading through this text, it was when Paul got to the point about Jesus arising from the dead Mm -hmm. that Festus basically stepped in. Yes. He interrupted the proceedings and said, Paul, you're crazy. (laughs) Yes. You're talking about somebody coming back from the dead? Mm -hmm. And he accuses him of just kind of losing his, his, his thinking, mm-hmm. his perspective by virtue of all of the uh, education he's had. Mm-hmm. Your much learning has dry, is driving you mad. Yes. Now that's maybe a somewhat more polite way of saying, Paul, you're crazy. That's right. You're nuts. Yes. You're out of your mind. Mm-hmm. And yet what does Paul do? He responds in a very reasoned way, doesn't he? He does. If we go down to verse 25 of that 26th chapter, he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. Yes. He turns it right back to Festus. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the Roman governor again. Right. And Paul is in his custody. Mm-hmm. And he tells Festus, I am not mad. I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. But I am simply speaking the words of truth and reason. Mm -hmm. And I can see this almost in my mind's eye, Gary. Uh, We're told there in verse 24 that when Festus interrupted Paul's defense, he said in a loud voice, 
you know, probably very excited, very agitated. Paul, this learning that you've gone through, it's driving you mad. And then I can just see Paul pausing for a moment and very calmly and probably very softly responding to Festus and saying, no, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. I speak the words of truth and reason. I'm telling you the truth, and what I'm telling you makes sense. It's reasonable. That's right. Mm -hmm. Now, how about reading verses 26 and 27? For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. I know that you do believe. And he's already said in, in responding to Festus, the king, I'm convinced he knows about right. these things. That's right. These things were not done in a corner. In other words, mm -hmm. the, the sense being this was not done in secret. Oh, no. Christ came and taught openly. He did. He was openly crucified. Mm -hmm. And when he arose from the grave, he didn't hide being risen. No. He presented himself to individual after individual and ultimately to a multitude of at least 500 people at one time. Yes. And I suspect that account we have in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians where uh, Paul is enumerating the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. And he goes through various ones of the apostles. And then, as you said, 500 brethren at one time we know that he was resurrected and alive walking on the earth for some 40 days after he'd been crucified. Now, I don't think Paul gave us a full description in terms of how many people actually saw Christ after he rose from the dead. I, I don't think so either. I think uh, we maybe just have a smattering of it. Oh, I, I, I suspect you're right. Mm -hmm. We know the apostles, we know that one statement you know, up to 500 at one time, mm -hmm. boy, it could have been thousands. I think so easily. And certainly those, at least many of them, a great many of them who saw him risen must have gone and told other people. Yes. And the interesting thing about that too, Gary, is that most of them were probably still living. Yes. You know, if someone came along and said, ah, oh, you're just full of it, in our modern vernacular. You know, it couldn't have happened. They could say, no, wait a minute. I saw him. Yes. I yes. saw him. Yeah. Not third hand or fourth hand or fifth hand. Yes. They information. Were, I was there. I saw him. They fulfilled the requirements of being an eyewitness. Yes. Now, let's go a little farther here. How about reading verses 27 and verse 28? Now, so Paul says to Festus, ask the king. I think he knows about these things. Mm -hmm. They weren't done in secret. What mm -hmm. does he say in verse 27 and 28? King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. So Paul tells Agrippa, now he's no longer speaking primarily to Festus. He's been doing that. Mm -hmm. But now in response to Festus's 
charge that he was crazy, Paul first says, oh no, most noble Festus, I am not crazy. I'm speaking words of truth and wisdom here. And you don't have to just believe me. Ask the king over here. Ask the king. And really, the king was there at Festus's invitation mm-hmm. because he wanted to kind of pick his brain. Yes. He wanted to understand this whole matter better. Why were the Jewish leadership, why were they so upset with Jesus? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or with Paul, rather. And, and so, and, and why did they want to kill him? So here, Paul first addresses Festus. He responds to him, and now he's talking directly to Agrippa. Mm-hmm. Do you believe the prophets? Mm-hmm. Can you see him kind of turn there and oh. lock eyes? Yes. <laughs> and can you see Agrippa maybe becoming uncomfortable, perhaps squirming a little in his seat? And then he says, I know you believe. Yes, when Agrippa didn't answer for himself. Yes, yes. And then Agrippa responds by saying, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Now, whether he meant that sincerely or whether he meant it as something of a derisive, you know, statement, still the, un- the understanding is what? Now, what's our point here? Agrippa knew about Christ. That's right but he did not know Christ. Exactly. And once again, just as we, we learned with Felix or we, we looked at with Felix earlier, do we have any record that Agrippa ever did come to know Christ? We do not. We don't. We don't. How sad. We want to remind our listeners, you can receive that Bible study and you can learn how to come to know Christ. And the study is free. Please contact us.